0: Hi friends! Welcome back to Bestowing the Brush. You have tuned into the podcast that helps you and your homeschool flourish with drawing lessons. Welcome back! Today I have a guest with me. I have Jane Boutwell with me today. She is an artist living and working in Atlanta, Georgia, and she directs a new program called Growing Creative Fellowship. And that is a membership that teaches how to build creative habits and to quiet your inner critic. She has evolved through the years from designing one-of-a-kind quilts to landscape and floral design to now producing mixed media, ceramics, and watercolor works for her art practice, Jane Boutwell Studio. You can follow her on Instagram at Jane Studio, and... Thank you again, Jane, for joining me today. Welcome.
1: Oh, Thank you, Dallas. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, we need to jump into a pretty, a pretty common question that I get. Um, and since, since you have been doing this Growing Creative Fellowship, and because you've been a working artist for a long time, you know this problem well. Do we need kind of a mental shift to think rightly about making art? whatever that looks like for us?
1: Um, I would say we definitely do. I find that um, a really big reason why people hesitate to take the time to do art for themselves and especially art to share with others is this loud inner critic voice that we have in our head um, looking over our shoulder, ready to tell us all the mistakes that we've made. And it steals the joy. I... um, was very, always have made time to create in some form or fashion. But I, after having my BFA, as I graduated from college, I taught for a few years in art, but then having children and homeschooling my four kids, I I really just put my studio practice to the side. And as I came back to it, I found that it was kind of miserable at first because every time I would sit down to create things I just was berated by this voice in my head telling me how what I was making was kind of terrible. (laughs) But I knew that this was what I, I mean, I'm an artist. I've always felt like creative, creative process and beauty are just part of who I was made to be. So I had to go on a healing journey, diving in and really getting to the root of my inner critic. Um, And I'd love to talk more about that and how how grieving can be such a healing part of that process. But I think one of the first things that everybody needs to know is that it doesn't matter if you have an MFA, you'll not, you're will not you never gonna lose completely that little uh, bit of resistance and inner critic that cranks up. There's a, a book that we studied in college that's really uh, kind of standard fare in the art world called Art and Fear, Observations on the Perils and Rewards of Art Making. And it's by David Bales and Ted Orland. And it's just really this introduction that I read in college that, you know, art and fear go hand in hand. Making art is something that is vulnerable and um, and really important. And I feel like when we do things that are important for good, there's, also, there's often some kind of resistance for that. And especially when you're doing something that's self-expressive, like art it's it's you're really vulnerable and so there's just going to be a lot of fears that kind of come up and it's learning to say you know what fear I recognize you're just kind of not going to go completely away but I'm going to let you ride in the back seat and you don't you don't get to be the one that says that I'm not going to make art I'm going to make it anyway and just kind of tune your voice out a little bit so I don't know if that makes sense but I think sometimes people oh yeah really an artist that that Fear isn't there, but the simple fact of the matter is it, it's always there for everybody.
0: I think that's a great point that you bring up that we are, yeah, we as artists are not immune to that. We just have to really stomp that voice out probably more often as we are creating, but probably the more that we do it, the easier it gets. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. It's like, it's definitely a mind muscle that grows. Another book they gave us in art school to read part of was a book called bird by bird by Anne Lamont. And she it's on the writing life, but writing creatively and other kind of creative expressions. It's the same thing, but she talks about how that kind of inner critic voice can be like little rats and you just pick them up by their tails. You drop them into a jar and you close the lid and you can see them in there telling you all kinds of nasty things, but you practice silencing it. So you just aren't listening to what they're saying. you you just kind of, Or grow that muscle of mindfulness of kind of, I'm going to focus on the good parts of this. I'm going to just blur out those voices and know that they're not going to go away completely, but I can put something else there instead and I can silence them a little bit, just kind of block them out. So I don't know if that makes sense, but
0: yeah, it sure does. I know that for me and for for a lot of other people that may not be artists, but still want to express themselves in some way, whether whether it be writing or poetry or um, anything else, any anything creative, we maybe at some point or another, we were criticized by someone who gave us this mental script and it can be hard for us to sort of forget about that and it can kind of play in the background of our mind and become louder and louder. So, I know that I know that you have talked about this a little bit. Do you want to kind of go over um, maybe some mental scripts that people have now that maybe they are not aware of, and then how we can begin to rewrite this mental script?
1: Yes. So, I think we all like to imagine that we're working that we're making our choices and we're thinking with this cognizant, logical part of our brain all the time. But the reality is our subconscious plays such a bigger role than we think. And there's, um, I've been looking at doing a lot with psychology and stuff. And there's just the reality is we hold the memories of all the ages that we've been. And those earliest memories, the the things that happened to us when we were the youngest, they stay there inside of us. And sometimes we can't remember the particulars of an occasion, but um, learning more about trauma, which uh, often we think of trauma as being some big thing like a car wreck or a rape or something really big and traumatic. But trauma can be anything that's difficult and uncomfortable that we don't feel like we can escape from. And the way it was explained to me is that um, when we experience trauma, we... The thing that's powerful about it is that we end up with a lie about ourselves that we hold on to and carry with us as we move forward through life. So, you may not remember the whole scene in kindergarten when your teacher, you know, kind of teased you for her, your drawing that you made. You might not, your brain might kind of have blocked out a lot of that and you've told yourself, oh, it didn't matter. I was just in kindergarten. Maybe she was right. And you kind of play it down because as a 20 or 30 or 40 year old woman, it's it's not a big deal situation but the reality is that memory is held in the part of you that is still that five-year-old and it was a big deal and the main thing to know is that you took a a belief from that experience that in order to stay safe and not ridiculed or rejected you can't put yourself out there you don't need to let people see your best efforts and so you choose to kind of um build up walls and protect yourself and not be as free and ex- as expressive. So I've found in my um, my experience, I've been spending the past year and a half going back into my childhood memories and kind of taking a fresh look at, look at them and sitting with them and acknowledging the pain that came from those situations and looking and seeing, you know, doing some journaling can help this if it's a bigger thing, it, or if you have a lot of them, you might need some professional help. I've really benefited a lot from a process called EMDR, which is a really amazing way that your brain is accessed through eye movement. It's it's totally wild and hard to believe, but the science is very much backing up the efficacy of that, um, of that therapy model. But anyway, you can go through and just journal about those Um, foundational memories, this earliest memories that you kind of started believing a certain thing about yourself and ask yourself, what, what is that? What happened there? What did I believe about myself? Is there more to that story than I saw or that I remember? And a big part of moving forward is taking the time to, to grieve what the five-year-old felt. And it takes a lot of humility to sit and acknowledge a five-year-old size pain, you know? Um, but what's Mm -hmm. amazing to me is that in that process, it, it changes it and it frees you from it. I have released a body of work of artwork called signs of life in the spring. And I had, um, it was all about the healing power of grief. And I had mushrooms in that collection of art and they really symbolized, um, the fact that when you grieve things, you can process the toxins out and get rich soil for growth, just the way mushrooms do for our soil. They process toxins and metabolize toxins and then leave really fertile soil behind. And so we really hesitate to dive in and grieve. It's not something we put on our calendar and look forward to, but it's been on a growth journey of seeing the power and the benefit and and just the beauty that comes and learning to hold beauty and brokenness together that, that you you can have both and um, there's a lot of beautiness at the end of that brokenness journey. I don't know if that uh, resonates with you any, but it's it's been a very powerful thing in my life this uh, past year and a half and has totally set me free to, to live into the calling that I have as a creative and to to choose not to pay as much attention to those voices because now I see where their roots are and that that wasn't the reality.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and as you were talking, I it made me think of Charlotte Mason because you and I, we both do Charlotte Mason homeschooling, mm-hmm. and a lot of the listeners choose that way of homeschooling their children as well, that um, she, I think, was kind of in tune with that idea that children are just as expressive as adults, mm-hmm. and we just lack, like, you know, at those ages, we lack technical skill so just because we're trying to express it doesn't mean that our drawings are necessarily bad Mm -hmm. they're just the best that we can do at the time Mm -hmm. and we have no idea what's going on in their minds um but yeah like you said um hearing a critical word at that age can be really fear inducing Mm -hmm. and shaming a little bit Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I can see how just sort of grieving that experience could really help you to forgive that person and move on um, and to, you know, try something new if it's if it's been a while or to try something totally new that you're just scared to do in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I am not remembering what volume it is, but Charlotte Mason talks about this delicate aerial, like... A child is sort of this delicate aerial that she sometimes needs to have her chains unbound for her to really flourish. Hmm. And I think that th- this philosophy of education that we use to teach our children very much is, it's like a wise letting alone so that they can express themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I mean, just that the most basic Testament that she has, that a child is a person. And um, and I think applying that to your own self, I mean, that has been the concept that I've taken into this growth journey for myself, seeing my child self as a person worthy of being looked at and cared for again. And uh, I've got a quote here by Anne Lamott that says, the most profound thing we can offer our children is their own healing. And um, that is... Definitely been true of my journey into kind of looking at my childhood experiences and acknowledging my personhood as a child and the reality of my pain that I felt in those small hurts that had a big impact. And as I've gone in and grieved those and and sought and found healing, um, it's really impacted my relationship with my children and their relationship with themselves as they've seen the outworkings of that healing in my life, the release of perfectionism. It has really, um, it's been more effective in, I'll take my daughter for example. She has struggled with perfectionism in an intense way. She's in sixth grade now, but when she was a kindergartner, I mean, we have, she refused to even write a K. I can't do it. I can I was like, of course you can't do it. You've never done it before. Just pick up the pencil and we'll give it a try. It was at least a day and a half of falling on the floor in tears every time she was supposed to write a K because she knew she couldn't do it perfectly. (laughs) So it's perfectionism. And I've, you know, tried to tell her, tried to talk her out of it all kinds of ways. But it's not until I have um, lived this release of my own perfectionism in front of her right. eyes that it started settling in. And I've modeled for her how to talk to yourself and how to be willing to take risks and tell yourself it's okay when you mess up and just be a little lighter heart, a little more compassion and empathy for yourself and, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about how perfectionism is hereditary. And if you have a child with perfectionism, you can be almost certain that one of the parents is perfectionist. And when I heard her say that, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm pretty sure my husband's not a perfectionist. My daughter is absolutely <laughs> a perfectionist. So where is it coming from? <laughs> I really didn't see myself as a perfectionist, but I had to take an honest look and see that it, it was coming from me. And and I, and I couldn't just talk her out of it. I had to model that healing process, um, <laughs> in order for mm-hmm. her to find it, so it, it is. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing how how on it Charlotte Mason was when she talked about how your your children are going to model what you do. You know, and I think that leads into mother culture, some too, and just that idea that that you need to practice and live this life of being a, this life of being a lifelong learner. If you want your children to follow that same path,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, as you have talked about reclaiming your own creativity, how how have you cultivated this idea? And you you have a new thing that you're doing now to help other people with this, as you've gone on this journey before.
1: Yes, I I always have loved to be creative, but. Almost even more than that, I have. Um, I used to say I love to pass creativity like an infectious disease, but I just to say that before.
0: You got to be careful when you talk about that these days. <laughs>
1: oh my word! Oh my word! Yeah, it, that's not something I could say anymore. But I guess I just said it <laughs> uh, anyway. I nothing lights me up like to more than to see somebody who felt like they weren't creative or who felt like they didn't know how to move forward with creativity and all sorts of mediums, but see them kind of make a breakthrough. And that, I mean, there's such a change of countenance when people feel the joy of self-expression and playing with color and paint. And it doesn't have to be right, but it's just it's a beautiful, wonderful thing we were all made to do. There's a wide range of creative outlets, but we were all made to be creative. And, um, yeah, so I found out about uh, as I was diving back into my art and working on building this uh, my studio business to be able to sell my art and release it out into the world, I heard about uh, membership business structure and realized that that was the, the best way to help – to bring this desire to grow other people's creativity because it's a, it's a habit. It's something that is a muscle that you have to develop and grow, which I know you certainly agree with and know. And, um, that's so, so in line with Charlotte Mason. Um, and so the membership model is month to month and it's just manageable. bits every week, a small assignment, small guidance through either tutorials or prompts or challenges Every other month we'll deliver a box with a few supplies. I don't want to overwhelm people and have boxes start stacking up, but well chosen being like a paintbrush or a new drawing tool that can then be used over the next two months for projects and some samples of things. Cause it can get so overwhelming when you go to the store and there's a billion supplies and you can't oh, yeah. out a little bit. So you'll get little things here and there to sample and find out which ones you like to get more of and, and just some inspiration and delight from the studio and, um, Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's just something I'm really, really excited about building a community because we'll also have a online group where people can post what they're working on, post stories of transformation in their life or ways they've found, um, tips and tricks to fit the habits into their life, um, in their busy lives. And two of the kind of foundational things that I'm trying to build, we'll definitely experiment with different mediums through the boxes and tutorials, but the basic habits are a journaling practice, which is something, um, I really discovered through a book by Julia Cameron called the artist way, but it is, it's called the artist way. However, it's really been beneficial to people in uh, all manner of different fields. Um, It is a practice called morning pages where you wake up and you just write. If you can write three pages, I don't always have time for three, and I don't make it happen every day, but I'm uh, consistently inconsistent. So when I drop the ball, I pick it back up again and keep at it. And it's just sometimes it's a bunch of that everyday stress junk that just needs to get out of the top of your brain in order to let you find the deeper parts once you've expressed it on paper better things can come you can have space for more creative thoughts um sometimes yes. in that writing your inner critic voice comes up like i really want to do this but i just know i'm not going to do a good job and da-da-da-da. and as you're writing sometimes you can start recognizing whose voice that is that's saying that who where did that where did that thought first come to mind and you can start using that journaling practice to dig into those the roots of your inner critic and work through it and then um keeping a sketchbook. And one of the most foundational practices, I think, especially if you have a strong inner critic, is the blind contour drawing practice. Because you don't have to look at the page and see what your end product is. It's it's doing it for the process, not for an end product. Um, but it really grows. I'm, I'm sure, as you know, it really grows that hand-eye connection. It grows that skill of seeing. And I um, I think one thing I've I've loved an illustration. I saw that talked about how our, our eye skill, our ability to see things grows at one rate. And then our hand skill, our technical ability to copy what we see grows at another rate. And sometimes they um, go up and down in different places and you'll get this to this place where your eye skill has superseded your hand skill. And, and you can look at what you did and see that it's off because you've developed more perception observation skills, but your hand skills haven't been able to match it. And so you get your inner critic really can flare up and you can be critical because you can see that. But if you keep pushing and building those skills, then your hand skill will catch up. and, And then later your eye skills might, your observation skills might come up again. I don't know if it's hard to explain it with words and not show the diagram, but it's just basically two curving up and down lines that, you know, one goes up and then the next one goes over it. And then the next one goes up and Those awkward places where you can see how far off you are, but your hands can't quite match it. And it's just, I think when you know what to expect, you know that those times of um, feeling critical and frustrated are coming. And if you just keep moving through it, you'll get to a better place and you'll be able to just silence that and and improve.
0: Yeah. I think, yes, I think that specific drawing exercise is so good for that I'm so glad you brought that up I haven't talked about that in a while Um, but I wanted to circle around to this membership Mm -hmm. and I wanted to just say the name so if anyone wants to look it up it's called Growing Creative Fellowship Mm -hmm. and that's the handle on Instagram too at Growing Creative Fellowship and if you want to find more information about it you can check it out at janeboutwellstudio.com Uh, it's just, it sounds wonderful. It sounds exactly like what you said, like it would be a really good way to have accountability and that um, motivation to create a habit and just so encouraging to have other people doing it alongside you. Mm -hmm. And earlier you were saying it's for ages 16 and up. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So I I felt like, um, you know, you've got some high schoolers that have the maturity to kind of engage in a group like this. And so I love, I love the idea of having a diverse range of um, ages and stages and just what we can all bring to the, to the mix. I think that we can, we can all learn and grow from each other. And I'm really looking forward to that. We, we do, we have a a range of, you know, retirees all the way down to high school in the fellowship and um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really, it's going to be a really neat journey. So we're just, we're just finishing the founding member launch right now, but, And we'll just keep the cart open for a week, but then be um, opening up again in December. So uh, probably two to three times a year, we'll open the doors for new members and then close up shop in the, um, you know, taking on new members so that we can really focus on who's in the group, building relationships and helping people make progress and connections.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I think at least one person, if not more, will be interested in checking that out. Yeah. Um, or at least just have to have those ideas that there are other people out there who um do have an inner critic who um there's a way to get past that. And oftentimes that means getting the perspective of another person to help you along that along that journey. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so as we kind of wrap up the conversation, I'd like to get your take on one thing that moms could do today to start a creative practice or to pick something back up, or a way that they can change how they interact with their child who might be having some of these perfectionism problems. I talk to lots of moms who have that. That's a common question that I get is how to help my perfectionist child or Um, you know, I'm a perfectionist myself. So how can we, what is one practical thing we can start today to do those things?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, one thing I've learned about creativity as I've been diving into it full on is just how our brain can only access that really creative part when we're also having fun. And so I think, it's just an encouragement to, to lighten up. Don't be too, too detour oriented, make time and re- you know, I love your, um, Dallas, I love your videos and how precise they are teaching the, the ways to build the skill best, but sometimes make some space to just, okay, let's make a mess. Let's see. I heard one designer talking about how when he has to design a project, he'll say, uh, I've got, a challenge myself to make, five really ugly versions because sometimes when you're trying to make something like you're trying to make bad art sometimes a really magical creative thing will happen so um you have to make a lot of bad art to make good art so loosen up make some time for just play and um and also remember that if you're trying to get a child to break out of their perfectionist mold. Um, I just want to read this quote by Jim Henson. He says, the attitude that you have as a parent is what your kids will learn from more than what you tell them. They don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. And so in my, with my older two kids, I would set up the art table and give them the plan and the assignment and kind of watch and wait for them to do it. And it just, Did you know? Like I said, my daughter's an incredible perfectionist. It just didn't take off. But with my younger two, they've watched me in the studio doing my own work and experiment and make total messes and be and just kind of laugh at all. Like, whoa, that that one didn't turn out quite right. And I'm right back at it and not taking it too seriously. So I would just encourage you to try to try to play, make space for um, messing up, making messes, having fun with it. And yes, a practice for picking things back up is like we said, that blind contour drawing. Sometimes I'll do it. My husband and I are on a way to a date. I keep my sketchbook with me almost all the time. So it's at hand when I have a free moment, even two minutes is worth pulling it out. And I'll just draw the tree line or the edge of a cloud as we drive by. And And the goal is not to have something that looks right at the end, but just to let my hand and my eye connect and to have some, a mindfulness moment of seeing something and, um, yeah, that's some places to start right there.
0: Yeah. I love that you bring up making a mess. I think as moms, we are so busy cleaning up all the messes that we don't want to encourage them to be made. Um, But I think especially with those younger kids too, that are between two and six where um, we don't know what to do with them or someone who hasn't bought art supplies before, wonders where to start. And I just like to say, start really anywhere. Just give them some things and see what they do with it. And then be prepared to clean up afterwards and don't get too worried about, about, you know, having your white walls.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Those marks on the walls will be souvenirs. And years down the road, you'll uh, you'll look back and smile. (laughs) I'm getting
0: a a teenager
1: now. So the the end is... uh, is inside, and I real I'm realizing that oh my word! It's these days will they will be over, and I'll I want to look back and remember times of laughter and messes and enjoying the fun of it. My youngest took mixed a wonderful pot of mud and was hand painting mud handprints all over our white playhouse in the yard, and I know for a fact with my older few my older few kids, I would have fussed pulled out the hose and let's clean this up, you made a mess. But with her, it I just thought, what would it what would I do as a grandma? And what did I do and how was her age? I loved mud pies. It's mm-hmm. fun. It does feel neat. And I just made handprints with her. And I love that I have that memory. And anyway, so I'm just throwing that out there. Sometimes I have to I do, do not do it all the time, but sometimes I try to remember what what a grandparent would do <laughs> or, or pull out my inner child experience and try to get in on the fun.
0: Oh my goodness. So fun. These are great ideas. Um, thank you for challenging me and for challenging my audience that now we have some tools in our tool belt for this. Um, I wanted to say that I think you, you have kind of shown us how we can go from grief to now giving mm and giving our kids an education and it's just a beautiful thing. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show and for chatting about this. I'm sure we'll talk again.
1: Yes. Well, thank you, Dallas. I've been looking forward to it. I've I've loved following all the wonderful things you share and I'm so happy to be able to share what I've learned along
0: the way. Awesome. Oh, it's so great to talk to Jane. I'm so glad she came on the show and I'm so glad for what she brought to this conversation She really helped me think about some things, and now I'm sure that you have some ideas. And if you don't have ideas for how to get more creativity into your life, Jane has made a free sketchbooking resource. It's a printable sketchbook prompts that can be taped into your sketchbook as well as a blind contour lesson video and she has that on her website at janeboutwellstudio.com I will provide the links for you in the show notes for that that would be a great resource for you to get started today if you just don't know what to do all right well happy drawing everyone and I will see you here next week bye bye